Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. I'm your host, Kate Hudson-Hall, and thank you so much for listening. This is a platform for people to share relatable and uplifting and inspiring conversations based on bulimia, anorexia and other eating disorders. And each episode will include talking with professionals who work with people with an eating disorder um, and also who may have had their own struggles with with one or two or maybe more types of uh, eating disorder. So it's really interesting. And I believe that we are almost up to 20,000 downloads and which is fantastic because hopefully we are reaching out and and helping as many people as we can by chit-chatting about our own experiences and then how we help other people. So that's great. Now, as a therapist, I have created a free Bulimia Sucks course to help you get started um, on your pathway if you haven't already, or to help you in your journey, your eating disorders recovery journey. And so if you would like to find out more about that, you go to my website, which is katehudson-hall.com, where I have a sign-up form on the homepage. And if you haven't heard about it, the other thing I've been doing is creating coloring books. Oh, yes, I love these coloring books. And so do many other people. So it's great because there's one for bulimia, one for anorexia, one for binge eating, and then also one for anxiety. So it's got a a pattern, a mandala that you can color in with a quote on it. And then on the opposite page, there are questions about the quote that you can think about and learn about yourself and how maybe that quote can take you forward. So I'm very excited about those. So check those out. If you put my name into Um, Amazon, you'll be able to find them. So check them out. Now our guest today, I'm very excited to welcome is Joelle Rabot-Maletis. Now Joelle is also a well-known psychotherapist, military psychology and PTSD expert, and she has personal experience, expertise and knowledge about eating disorders as well many of her clients who struggle with it each and every day. Through her own life challenges, retiring as a professional dancer, Joelle has learned to survive struggles, overcome adversities and trauma, and build self-reflection tools that she teaches today. So we want to hear all about these, please, Joelle. We're very excited to have you here. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Kate, for having me. I'm excited to be here as well and and talk about, I think, what we're both very passionate about. 
is how do you work through your own stuff, right? And be in recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And stuff is a very big word because it can mean so much. (laughs) Because we all have our own stuff and it's just all can be very confusing. Right. Especially in this day and age, right? In the last few years, it's it seems like it's so much stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So should we start with uh, with what you went through as a dancer? That must have had a lot of pressure, weight, you know, pressure on the amount that you weighed and um, the difficulties there. Yeah. So I started, you know, like like most most young people, you know, at a very young age dancing and then um, was trained as a ballerina and did that for a while and then went into doing camera work, film and commercials. And it was always about the aesthetic, you know, um, first of all, I'm, I'm barely five, three. So in a world of very tall people and, and dancers being these, you know, wafy skeleton, like, you know, beautiful bodies here. I am five, three mouthy and hippie. And so I, (laughs) (laughs) mouthy and hippie. You know, and um, so, you know, I felt like, like I never fit in. And so I think the body image started as I began going through puberty and, and my body starting to change and wanting to be five, eight and, and like, that was not going to happen. And that, and the pressure of having to continually lose weight. And I was really struggling with, with that. And so the control, the perfectionism, the trauma, the family dynamic, right? It all just sort of bubbled up to the surface. I had a very long career, so I was very blessed. Um, I danced wow. for over 20 years and then had a career ending injury and um, went into doing this work. So that's oh, okay. the story. So did you, um, so was it ballet dancing that you were doing? Yeah, so I did ballet. Um, up until I was about 20. And then when I was 20, I went in and started doing ballroom and Latin dance and, and then doing commercials. So anytime you saw dancers in the movies or in commercials, I typically was in the background and, and um, you know, my family would laugh and say, Oh, there's her elbow or, Oh, that's the back of her head. And (laughs) like, but, but I got to do what I loved and, and taught class and was coaching and um, wow. You know, and the, the joke with my dad was my dad would pay for my dance habit, but I had to go to university. So I started racking up college degrees because, you know, I figured why not? I, I can go to school, dance full time and my dad will pay the bill. And then after, you know, the, the third degree, he went, OK, we're done. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're on your own, kid. You, you know, go figure this out. So um, but it was a hard it, it was a hard world for me to fit into. And I just, I constantly struggled with what my place was Um, and, you know, talented enough to dance. And and at the same time, I wasn't going to be one of the the prima ballerinas. And so, you know, what do I do with that? And and how, how was I going to figure, figure this out? Such pressure. Yeah. A lot of pressure. Yeah. So when did the eating disorder sort of develop? You know, that's such a great question. And I I think I've spent years in my own therapy trying to figure it out. Um, I grew up with a very close-knit, multi-generational family um, from 
you know, that that immigrated from from Eastern Europe. Right. And so a lot of the focus was always around food. Um, and I think that uh, that grind against that family dynamic of eat, 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 you know, we that's how we show love. Yes. And then the ballet world of don't eat, don't eat. You know, if, if you're not at, at the point in time I was dancing, I needed to be 85 pounds at five, two. And I was really having a hard time I, I getting there. And so that that juxtaposition of never fitting in to either world um, yeah. and constantly struggling. So I think it's started- so conflict as well. So you're being yeah. you know, at work, you're being told this and then at home, you know, eat, eat, eat. Yeah. And so it was just, um, I think I was always, there always was that pressure around food. And so I think it started at a very young age. I think a lot of it again was body image because I was looking at my, you know, the the other girls in class with me and, and constantly comparing myself. Oh, I, I wasn't going to be this, or I wasn't going to be that, or I didn't look like this. Um, you know, I had really curly hair. Everybody had straight hair, you name it. I mean, it, it's, it, so I think for me, it started with more of that body dysmorphic um, imaging of, I don't look the way I'm supposed to quote unquote, look to fit into this world. And I don't fit into my family because I don't want to eat what everybody's eating. Yes, and yes. so, so I think for me, it started there. Um, and it started with the control. So not as much restriction as just, um, oh, there was this list of foods that I couldn't eat. And so that really kicked the ball, I think, d- you know, down the street for me was, yes. was those two, those two things. Was that your own list or was that? That was my, it was my own list. Um, right. And, and again, you know, my, I had a, a great grandmother, a grandmother, my mother, you know, they, they. Like, oh, here's a cookie. Oh, we've had a rough day. You know, here's some treats. And and it really was love, right? That's how the family showed their love. We all got together. Um, again, four generations of people in a very small area. And we had a lot of family meals. And that was brutal for me. So I developed all these coping mechanisms to not participate. Yes. You know, I, I would serve food. I would wash dishes. I would, I learned how to cook. Like I developed all of these, these, what seemed to be, oh, she, you know, she's, she's such a, such a good, good kid, right? Like this, mm-hmm. these perfectionistic behaviors. So I didn't have to eat um, or at least sit down and have eyes on me about what I was eating. Yes. Yeah. So, so did you, did you, were you restricting is that the, the route that you ended up going down? So it started off with restricting and then um, and then more traditional anorexic type symptoms. And then the bulimia started, I think, more teenage years, teenage and, and college. And um, for me, that was that was using laxatives. And so I was eating and then purging through exercise and then purging through laxative use. So I wasn't throwing up. And, and so then I flew under the radar because no one knew. Yeah. Right. So my family, you know, other than just saying, wow, you look really thin. Um, my family didn't know, my friends didn't know. And I was able to hide it really well because they never heard me in the bathroom. Yes. So um, I, I became really good at having some 
very serious maladaptive um, disorders, just disordered behavior. Um, and then not, you know, because I was a ballerina, of course, this is what you're supposed to look like. So I wasn't sent to treatment either. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So what, uh, what, got, what brought you to the point where you decided, okay, enough is enough. And I've really got to take that step onto the recovery pathway. Yeah. Um, that's such a good question. And I, I think even now, you know, this is, you know, 20 years later, and um, I think about it as being in recovery. I definitely subscribe to that addictions model um, with, with eating disorders. And, and I have my moments where I don't do well. Right. And I had like most people and I have other moments where I'm doing really well. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was, it was actually um, being pregnant with my first child right. and and the doctor saying, you need like, you need to, to gain X amount of pounds and, and really struggling with, um, how do I keep myself healthy now for this little person? Um, and so it started there. So I don't think I want, and I didn't want to be in recovery. Right. And right. there's that, that dysmorphic, right. Imaging yeah, of, yeah. well, I, I like the way that I look. And so <laughs> you know, being pregnant, adding, adding normal weight, right. Being in recovery in the beginning was so hard because I just, I didn't want to be there. Right. You know? And so I think it, so it started with having this, this outside or external focus and drive to really help then create that internal focus. If I'm not healthy, I can't, I can't be a good mom. Um, yeah. And, and that became the focal point. So, you know, I wish it, I wish it was something where I felt like I, there was this great aha moment and a yeah. light bulb and it, it really wasn't, it was, I didn't want to give it up. Yeah. Um, and I want to hear more about your story, but I just wanted to, I want to ask, so when um, clients come to see you now as working as a psychotherapist or working with people with eating disorders, Joel. So what do you, you know, if they're sort of in two minds about stepping on that recovery path, what would you, what would you say to them to sort of help to guide them closer to that, making that decision they really want to, to gain that help? Yeah, it's such a great question. And so I tend to approach it as, as being trauma informed so much of, of eating disorder, disordered eating behaviors, right, comes from control and trauma and upbringing. And so I try and meet each client where they're at. Um, some clients come in and they're, they were like I was, you know, I don't want to give this up. Everybody else, right? My family, my friends, um, I can't be in this relationship, right? If, if I don't change, um, but I don't want to change. And other clients come in and they're exhausted. That this these behaviors aren't working for me, and I want I want to make those changes. Yes. And so I think the approach has to be dynamic. And so I start with that trauma informed, client centered. You know, where are you at? What are your goals? Um, and how can I support you? And and let's just start there. And so sometimes it's harm reduction. Sometimes it's you know, hey, can can we try adding, um, you know, uh. 
a smoothie or can we try like going to nutrition? Like, like sometimes it's bigger steps and, and other times that's absolutely terrifying. I had one client who it, we took six months and I know that sounds like a, a dreadfully long time, but we took six months just to get over not having to have the exact same food in the exact same bowl at the exact same time, that level of control and, re- and releasing that control was terrifying for this client. Yeah. And so it, re- it really is where, where is somebody at and, and what do they need? I think that there's, there's so many theories out there and it really is what's going to work for, for this particular client. One theory may be better than another. Um, and then there are things uh, as a, as a person in recovery and as a therapist that I just, I don't care for. I'm, I'm not a, a scale person. I'm not a food diary person. So, you know, I tend to work with eating, dis- um, intuitive eating for yeah. eating disordered behavior. And, and so there's a few theories that I, I cherry pick from that I really like, but, yeah. uh, but I think, you know, that's so important actually to, to, um, coming together to where the client is and then figuring out what those little tiny, 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 minute sometimes steps forward are, which they can, like you say, be very, very small little steps, but it's just making that slight change, whatever it may be, that is going to begin to sort of build up the confidence gradually. And like with your client, you know, that client, it was, you know, it took six months, but that's good. You know, they got there. Yeah. Made a change. It's at, and I think too, it's, it's absolutely about slow, steady growth and having some wins. Um, then there's the motivation. If it's, it's too much, too fast, people tend to, in my, in my experience, backslide. And it's that same diet culture, right? They, people come in with that yo-yoing um, behavior patterns. And so trying to break that cycle and just say, let's just do one little thing because we're, when, when we're successful with that, we're going to do another little thing. And when we're successful at that, we're going to do another. And over time, right. There's this lifestyle change that doesn't seem completely chaotic and out of control. And it's not overtaking, right. I don't feel like, like my defense mechanisms are constantly flaring because I feel out of control. So what are areas that I can take control and still make change and then look back and go, wow, I did all of that. Like I, I didn't realize I could do that. Yes. Yeah. Cause they didn't believe in themselves because they were looking at the whole bigger picture rather than breaking it down to what they yeah. could do. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Joel. So, um, so then, so if we can go back to um, your story, so, so then you had your daughter um, and then how, how did you continue along your recovery path? What help did you have? Yeah. So I had my son and then oh, your uh, son. I had my son. Then I um, um, had a lot of trauma in between uh, the, the two and then had my daughter and um, whole nother conversation for another day. <laughs> anxiety postpartum I mean and and again eating eating disorders um go hand in hand with a lot of 
a lot of these other kinds of things. And so I was triggered all the time, um, still dancing full time, still performing. Um, then I had my daughter. And when I had my daughter, I, I crashed. And um, that was the first time I, I went to therapy, really being willing to do therapy in the past. Like I said, in the past, I was doing therapy, but I didn't really want to change. Yeah. 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 So you're correct. When I had my daughter, um, that's when, you know, my life was starting to unravel and, um, and really I needed to go to therapy and I needed to get my, my act together and start dealing with, with all of this. And so I had family support. My family support was just, it was generational. And, and so a lot of it was, oh, this is baby blues. It'll pass. Um, just get up, just, you know, go, go see your friends you know, we don't, we don't hear that. I mean, now, now the kids are 22 and 20. So, you know, we don't, we don't hear that anymore. Um, but that was absolutely what people said at the time. Yes, they did. Yeah. yeah. You know, go join a mom's group, go back to work, um, uh, spend time with your husband, you name it. And so, although I had support, it wasn't the support that was working for me. Um, my parents were close by and would help with the kids. Um, you know, the, the children's father's uh, family was close by and would help with the kid. And it wasn't, so it was, it was support. It wasn't the right support. And, and what I needed to do was go to therapy, um, take some medication and, and get some help. And, um, and then the resistance of me saying, I don't want to go into a treatment program. And so I think I was the, the worst client ever because I, <laughs> <laughs> I went arms crossed. This is what I'm going to do. And my therapist looking at taking your head and saying, okay, well, <laughs> I don't know if I can help you kiddo, but let, let's see what we can do. I, you know, I still talk to her 17 years later. Um, but uh, yeah, I yeah, was she's like, I remember you. I know. She's, <laughs> there's so many great stories. I, um, I remember going on and on about something for months and she finally looked at me and she said, you know what, Joelle, when you're done suffering, you let me know. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, pull the knife out of my heart. And at the same time, it was like, (laughs) it was that proverbial slap, you know, and it, and it helped. It was, it was like, I think I am done, uh, done suffering. Like I am. And so then that was for me, that magic moment of, can I get, can I get out of my way? And, and am I willing to, because for a long time, I wasn't willing to get out of my own way and thought I could. Right. And that that's disastrous. Yeah. Oh gosh. So then you actually decided that you would like to, to get some, you know, to take, accept the help. Right. And, and that's when things changed. And, um, um, you know, it, it was a very long process, uh, but that, that's really when things changed. And then, like I said, my, my dancing career was over. Um, I found, you know, myself uh, newly divorced with two very young children, which was not the plan and living in, in the San Francisco Silicon Valley, um, you know, money on, on a dancer's salary is tough. And so I went back to grad school for the third time and went therapy sounds interesting. And I'm going to go study, you know, 
trauma, PTSD, and eating disorders. And I think every supervisor I had just kind of, you know, dropped their head and, you know, <laughs> shook their head and went, you got to be kidding. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you really want to do that? And, and, um, and I did. And, and then, and then things started to flare up again, right? Because now not only was I, I, I was in therapy for my own issues, I was studying it. I was writing my dissertation on broad spectrum eating disorders, trauma and addiction. Like you, we could draw the dots in a ballerina. And okay. so, like, right. And yeah, yeah. so now I'm in the throes of it again. Um, I think that the, the thing about it that I learned is, is people are in and out of treatment and therapy all the time. And what works right now may not work six months from now, or it may not work three years from now. And so it's trying to give people the tools to be open-minded enough to say, Hey, when I've regressed or when I've slipped a little bit, I'm willing to go back and maybe I have to try something different, but I'm willing to do that. And so that was the huge takeaway for me. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's still how I am today where I have, I have my moments and those are those times where it's like, okay, that, that's something I need to pay attention to. So who can I talk to? Um, what support do I need? It's usually lack of self-care, right? Lack of good boundaries and, and being able to now identify that helps me pull myself out much I quicker. See. So instead of it being months, right, it's a few days. Yes. Yes. And so when you were studying yeah. to become a therapist <laughs> and, um, and what help did you, what different, what, what were the other therapies or what did you try differently at that time? Yeah. So I think, you know, again, at the time, the, the standard, standard operating procedure was cognitive behavioral, right? CBT, everybody did skills. Um, which I, I, I think have a lot, I think it does have a lot of value. Um, I think if we, we've modernized it a little bit, um, but it doesn't work for everybody. So, yeah. you know, it started with CBT. Um, uh, Carolyn was just starting to write about, Carolyn Costin was just starting to write about intuitive eating. Um, yeah. There, you know, there's a, a I think Roth, Dr. Roth wrote a book, right? When um, Food is Love, like, these were now starting to be taught in school. And although they were probably about a decade old, they were still considered new and, and revolutionary theories. And so it started there. Um, I think the thing about going to school that opened my eyes was somatic therapy, um, EMDR. And, and for me, those were life-changing. So it really was a hybrid model and a lot of DBT skills, a lot of mindfulness, learning how to be in my body again, um, because I was really comfortable putting on, on the mask, you know, and as, as a dancer. I think that's that we are. We're, we're yeah. great actresses, people with eating yeah. disorders. Act right. Yeah. And so, you know, putting on the mask and playing the part and being in my body was great. But being in my body and having to show up as me, not so great. Um, so I think I think it was all of a sudden my eyes were opened to there were so many approaches and then just starting to try them and figuring out what worked and what didn't work. Um, yeah. Somatic experiencing, I, I, I got to take classes with Peter Levine and and 
and do all of that kind of work. So um, can you explain to the listeners what that is? Yeah. So somatic experiencing is, is not talking about the story, but actually, you know, where do you feel it in your body is your, you know, um, I often put my hand on my heart when I'm talking to people and it's like, do you feel heavy? Do you, does your chest hurt right now? So it's, you know, where do you feel it in your body and how we hold trauma and our experience in our body? And then through a lot of different things, EMDR movement, um, um, kind of a guided meditative type process, we can sort of release the trauma or release how we hold that trauma in our body or the experience in our body. Yeah. So is that, um, is that what you practice today? I, a little bit, I, I have a hybrid model. And like I said, for me, it's, it's always trauma informed. So it's where clients, where clients are coming in. Honestly, I start with, with skills. I start with DBT and see if the client um, likes it and how well it holds. And then from there, we do some, some somatic work. We do some EMDR work. Um, if people like to read, we read, if they like to journal, we journal, um, if they like to color, they have your coloring books, you know, I, um, it, it just, I think it's, it's, what doesn't work is saying here is the model and I'm going to force fit the client. Into absolutely. It. Absolutely. You know, like we said in the beginning, we're all so different. So it's, it's figuring out what works for that person and what they would, um, yeah, be open and willing to do. Yeah. And, and some clients come in and, and they, they have that epiphany or there's something where they say, I am so time exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted of trying to maintain this behavior. Right. And I just, I just want it to stop. Um, that doesn't mean that they're more successful in therapy than other people. It's just a different process where, uh, maybe they've done a lot of therapy and they're ready for a new therapist, a new approach. Um, something has changed for them and it could, could take them an equally long time as someone like when I first started, who came in and said, I'm here because I have to come, but I don't really want to change. Um, and, and so I don't, I don't think that, that the way somebody presents in therapy is indicative of how successful they're going to be. I think it really is about the relationship with the therapist. I tell people all the time, I, if I'm not the right fit, tell me, I will send you something great, you know, absolutely. That because it's not going to work if we don't have a good rapport. Yeah, because you're not going to open up. You're not going to relax and feel comfortable enough to open up and talk freely. Right. Yeah. So, Joelle, so where are you now and um, how can people find you? So what specifically um, uh, are you doing? Do you work online? Um, Yes. So primarily we're still telehealth. we go back and forth, you know, over the last few months of, are we opening our offices back up to be in person? I have an amazing staff, but I'm in the, the San Francisco Bay area in California. And, um, we are online. I'm licensed in multiple States. So I have clients actually all over the country. Um, and they can find us. It's my name. So it's joelrabomolitis.com. And, um, People can find us on socials and we have all sorts of, of goodies that we give listeners. And so your listeners, if they want to send us a DM or an email, um, we'll send them a free, we've got a free 
self-care journal that's a seven-day seven-day journal that that we like to give people um oh nice and I'm always happy to answer questions and and provide resources and so there's some there's some good stuff out there that people can connect with yeah oh how lovely how kind of you thank you and of course we'll we'll add all of your links and your website details what is your website it's my name so it's it's joelrabomolitas.com right um so we'll add it all anyway so people can find you in the details below thank you yeah well thank you so much for joelle for joining us it's been fascinating and really interesting for people to hear your journey but also how you go about helping others and what other therapies there are out there thank you and thanks again for having me this was so much fun so yeah it's been lovely talking to you joe you too yeah so thank you to everybody for listening and that's all for today's episode and if you would like to show us your love and support then please please leave us a review where from wherever you listen And I look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Bulimia sucks, but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon. 